Behind the DM screen, it is July 2020. We are three DMs talking about our games and help each other out, and that is the intro. Uh, Mike, you are up first. You missed out on going last uh, last month because you skipped out on us to run a, a, a Kickstarter. Um, yeah, careful timing. Yeah, which which I hear was successful. Uh, actually, I get it notifi- was. I get notifications was successful because I think I have now backed every kickstarter you've ever put out so yeah that means you get a lot of spam i do get a lot of spam like every like when this (laughs) kickstarter starts five other previous ones all send me messages (laughs) yeah uh i wish there was an easier way but there's no way you you missed last time uh we got uh uh uh, vargas to to step in for you so that was a lot of fun we got to hear him talk about uh the the D last refuge uh show that he does Awesome. Uh, but he was last that time, so now it's your turn. You get to be first. Fifteen minutes are on the clock. Go. All right. So I am running two different. I'm running a whole bunch of campaigns, and I could talk about any one of them. Um, but I will talk about my Eberron Second Morning campaign. This is a homebrew adventure, a homebrew campaign, but set in Eberron. And my goal was to take the Eberron book which I have sitting over here and like squeeze every ounce of stuff out of it that I could. Like I really wanted the pure Eberron experience for this one. So it starts off in Sharn, whole bunch of Sharn stuff goes on, then it stops and then heads over to the Mornland. And then a bunch of stuff happens in the Mornland. Right. And what's been great about it is my own experience with Eberron has been growing the more I've been running it and running it now. I'm actually running it for three groups. I'm running it for my, uh, Wednesday night group that I've had forever, my Sunday group, which used to be at a game shop and now is online. And uh, my wife and I have been running a one-on-one Eberron mm-hmm. game set in in the in the Mornland. Are you uh, which using the, the Essentials uh, sidekick rules to give her a little extra booster? No. Uh, instead, she has two full characters. Okay. So she it's still we're still doing it like the sidekick style. Mm-hmm. Where I role play the second character, she role plays her primary character, she runs both characters as character sheets, they level up at the same time and they get full abilities. So, you know, she's so experienced with D&D, she doesn't need a simplified character. Um, And that's worked really, really well. She's, Mm -hmm. I think she's level five now. And it's mostly been me um, quick, quick rolling up. Uh, adventures in the Mornland, and then I'll drop. I'll do it. I'm running it like the D and D Essentials Kit Adventure. I have like, you know, they have a they have a house. They're sort of like Sherlock Holmes and Watson, right? They have a house. They're called to do jobs. Uh, people, you know, the 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 sidekick character whose name is Queso is a bard, and he goes out and kind of talks to people, and he comes back and says, "Well," and Acog is the main character says. You know, hey, ACOG, uh, so three different jobs have come up. Here are the three. And, you know, he kind of outlines what they are. And then my wife will say, that one sounds interesting. Let's do that one. And then we have a scene where the client comes in and they meet with the client. And the client says, "My uh, this box got stolen by these bad guys who went into Big Mo, the giant, uh, the giant Warforge thing. And we need somebody to go in and get it back. And then she says, okay, we'll go and get it. And then they, we do a one-on-one game and they go in and get it. And I can always kind of like slide in bits of Eberron lore all throughout this, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in this case, it was like um, a sire, a, a dwarf who worked for sire before before the Mortland. And then 
but he was a dwarf and he went down too deep into the Kyber, realm of Kyber and got actually got hit by an intellect devourer. And the box that he wanted returned had another intellect devourer in it. And so he was asking the, you know, asking uh, Akog and Keso to go get the box because he wanted the other intellect devourer. And then they found out his intellect devourer because it took over one of the bad guys that they were fighting and said, hey, I, you know, I'm not against you. I just want to be with my my friend. And they're like, well, that sounds OK. Like two intellect devourers want to be friends. So what's wrong with that? So they brought the, the the guy, the host with the intellect devourer in it and met the other guy and they held hands and off they walked, you know, so the job was done. <laughs> so lots of fun, like small adventure um, because as my wife and I, and we're a hundred percent, you know, we're with each other a hundred percent of the time, we can actually break the game up into like different sections. So it'll be like the first section is where she picks the three adventures. She, you know, I, I prep the, the, the three scenarios. She picks one, then we stop. Right. So that might be a conversation on a walk where we do that. And then now that I know what one she's interested, I'll bother to fill out the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have the client come in and talk to her and, 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 you know, we'll role play that. And there's some dice rolling and stuff involved in there. Then once she's done with the client, she goes off on the adventure and then I'll like figure out the maps and the monsters and everything else. And then usually a couple sessions to get through one of those. So it's mm-hmm. been really, really fun to do. It's pretty easy to do. And you're just playing throughout um, the week whenever you've got time. Yeah. Time. Whenever we do it. Yeah. So our, 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 usually our sessions are somewhere between a half an hour to an hour, right? It's not nearly like, the sit down two hour big standard dd because like you know there's no scheduling right it's just us playing and we don't care if we stop in the middle of the scene you know so yeah that's been really fun and and eye-opening and easy to run because i'm using a lot of random components for it i use a lot of random dungeon stuff for it you know i don't i'm not building this big heavy campaign so i think of it like the side you know like the star wars tv shows and the star wars one-off movies compared to the three trilogy right the big movies and then the Eberron game that I'm running for everyone else is the big one. And that one has been a big sort of political intrigue, uh, uh, Cold War era style game where a bunch of different factions are all trying to get the, the components to build the weapon that caused the morning. And a lot of groups want it because they see it as a deterrent, right? So um, it's been a lot of fun doing that. And I see it kind of in two big acts. Act one is all the intrigue that happens in Sharn. And then act two is them going to the Mornland to the place where it happens. And uh, for that, I've, I've been definitely doing like situation based D&D planning where I will say something like, um, you know, I had a whole event that was just a dinner party. I talked about that last time. But uh, uh yeah, they'll, 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 you know, the, the way that they'll work out is they'll, they'll go and they'll meet with like Cavella, who's the head of the desk, the sort of monstrous, uh, gangster group in Sharn and Cavella will tell them a whole bunch of interesting things about what's going on. And the characters will sort of pick the direction they're going to go. And if they go to stop the Emerald Claw in the city of the dead, while that's going on, the desk and another gangster named Leto Scholar are fighting each other and one group wins. And I rolled randomly to determine who won that war. And then they come back and, oh, my God, like, you know, Cavella lost and her right hand is dead. And they the item we gave to her just went to the other guy. And now we got to go get it back from the other guy. So it's been a very dynamic campaign where major changes can happen on a on a die roll. Um, you know, I, I've been definitely playing the, like the front style of, you know, three different factions that are all trying to seek the same thing. And who has it and how they get it can change. Um, one of the things that I've really loved is they went to this deep cellar this this they called it the 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 forbidden vaults of tower six of Morgrave university and it was this place where 
Morgrave University was storing artifacts they couldn't display or they couldn't keep out in the open. And while the party was down there uh, getting a book called the Tome of Colseer, which is this book of very dark magic that the giants of Zendrek had, uh, they found this orb. And the orb had created a, um, I forget the name of the, uh, an alip. Uh, an alip is an undead specter-like creature that is um, uh, like a like a obsessed with forbidden knowledge, right? And it was swirling around the orb. So they beat the alip. Well, the orb created that alip, right? They, they, they're like, we don't know what that orb is, but it's dangerous. But, you know, but it's cool too. So they grabbed it. And it's it's essentially a sentient crystal ball. Uh, which I sort of based off the crystal balls in the Dark Tower series. And um, it tells them what it wants them to know. So in many cases, it'll show them the truth. Like it's a, it has true seeing. So for whoever's holding it, they can see like invisible creatures and they can see that like the guy that they thought was a gnome is actually an Oni. You know, they can figure all that out by looking at this orb because the orb is happy to tell them that. But the orb will also lie to them just the right way to get them to go a certain direction. And the orb has its own too. It's become a front. Only it's a front they're carrying in a bag, right? And that's that's just a it's been super fun to do that. Like they count on it. So during that street war that happened, where um, the one of the villains, Leto Skull, who's an Oni, uh, was trying to kill uh, Cavella's right hand, who had this book that they, that he wanted to get. It happened off screen, but the characters saw that there was a battle going on in Sharn while they were at the City of the Dead. So. They're like, what happened? And like, I don't know. Hey, let's let's use the crystal ball and find out, right? And they pull it out and they see the aftermath. And in in there, they saw the battle and they saw the end of the battle. And they're like, oh my god, boy, were we in the wrong place? Like, the book that we just gave to that group actually now is with the other group, and now we got to hunt it down and find it. You know, so that idea of like using a magic item, using a sentient magic item as a major plot driver is a lot of fun, right? Like I can, I can use it to reveal any of the secrets I want whenever I want. And none of the ones I don't when I don't want to. And, um, I've, I've really enjoyed that. Um, so it's, I'll tell you, it's a lot harder, you know, before the show here, we were talking about running like descent and Avernus and it's a lot, even with descent, like we were, we were talking about the fact that we've had to modify descent pretty heavily to, to run it. Right. Um, but even, even, when I have to modify an adventure like that, it's still less work for me than making my own. And, and I realize like I'm having fun with this and I know most people prefer running their own adventures, even in their own camp, own campaigns, their own campaign world. But boy, I love running published adventures. And I think part of it is I can run a lot more of them, right? Like I can, I'm running three week, three games a week now. And even though I've refined my style of prep down to, uh, uh, you know, as minute as I can, it still takes a lot of time and energy to run that many games and keep them going consistently for week after week. And when I have a published adventure, having just some kind of structure to tell me like, ah, okay, they're heading to Candlekeep next. I don't have to think about going next. I know they're going to Candlekeep. I don't have to think in my mind like, ooh, what if I don't want them to go there? Well, you know, I don't, I, uh, being on the rails is a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I, I think there's two reasons I like to publish adventures. One, I, I found that consistent because I've done, you know, homebrew completely before, um, is that one, even if I'm changing things, and I think every DM tweaks and changes at, at least a little bit, if not a whole lot, uh, my prep is less if I'm, if I'm running yeah. a published adventure. And I think the other thing is that um, I felt like because I didn't run almost, I don't, I don't, I don't think I ran hardly any 
published adventures in, during the 4E days. Uh, and there was a part of me that felt like I missed out on a, a sort of communal experience. You know, I never yeah, ran right. keep on was it the, the Shadow Crag or whatever it was, Castle Shadow Crag. Or, you know, uh, so there was all this these touchstones that people had that that they could talk about. Oh, remember when that happened? Don't you love that NPC or whatever? It's like uh, I don't I don't know. You know, uh, and so part of me <laughs> likes using them now, so at least I'm in the loop. You know, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, Wizards Wizards has done because they've been building these larger campaign adventures over the years. They have done a pretty good job of building that sort of communal experience of, hey, we all we we can all talk about our Storm King's Thunder game, and anybody that's run it or played in it can say, oh, well, when we did it, this is the weird stuff that happened, you know. And they're all different, right? But but we can we all know what we're talking about. If we talk about what happened with Imrith, we know, you know, different people are gonna have different opinions, but we all had Imrith in it. Um, so yeah, that 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 that's something that's been. Um, that's been interesting and it's been, but it's been interesting for me to, to, to do that. And I'm not against continuing to run my own campaigns. One nice thing is I am still running the same campaign for two groups. So the prep that I'm doing, you know, the prep, like they're both in totally different directions, just like in my ghost of salt marsh game where one group led a vampire out and the vampire was taken over the town and the other group did not. And that made a huge difference in the politics of salt marsh. Um, the same thing is happening in here where now characters are dead in one that aren't dead in the other in one game, the villain has the items they need to build the weapon. Well, the other one doesn't, you know, in the other game, they don't. And that, you know, the fronts are going to start to change. So it's going to be very different eventually. Like the, the, there's going to be a big switch between them eventually. Um, but still kind of at least running the same campaign for both groups. And then again, being able to fall back on, on Eberron lore has helped, right? Like because I'm not also building my own world. You know, I mean, I know it's very strange to me because I know most people build their own world with their own adventures, you know, like, and you know, more, more people do that than don't. And that's surprising to me because it's like, it's kind of the last thing I want to do, right. <laughs> you know, and it's a weird discrepancy between how I view the game and, and how not everybody, but, you know, a, a, a good Good amount of people. I think the way you'd run things is different too. And actually, uh, Ishmael in the, in the chat mentioned it a little bit because you run multiple groups, right? Uh, it's, it's a whole, it's very different because you're running multiple groups in any given week. And and a lot of people are lucky to scrabble together one group, uh, that, that I imagine has to completely change the calculus. Uh, And he's asking, uh, if, if your other groups kind of know about about each other. So they don't know about that. I, you know, I don't even like to talk to them after they're done. I don't even like to tell them about here's what the other group did. But I they know the other group is out there. Times. They they know the other group's out there and they know they're both playing it. Yeah. But they don't like the information's not shared. And I don't it's it's not a situation like I you know somebody said like hey have you ever played it where both groups are actually in the world at the same time? And that's too much for me. Like <laughs> you know that's that sounds like yeah, a no this is a fourth wall question right like your your real life players know that there's another set of real life players right but their characters don't exist in the same place yeah so even I, though you mike shea are running yeah. two different groups right. of human beings through the adventures their pcs aren't doing the same no. things i just it, like trying to map that out would be such a headache i know people have done it and trying to map that out would be such a thing. I also don't want any one group to feel like they got screwed because they went one direction. And I felt a little bit like when I told my Wednesday group that my Sunday group had released a vampire in the city and that it completely changed how they dealt with um, the Scarlet Brotherhood. You know, I, I think some of them were like, wow, that would have been cool. 
you know, and you don't want that feeling of like ours, ours was lame and we had to hunt down the Scarlet Brotherhood ourselves. It's like, you know, you don't want that to, even though it's like, seems like a terrible idea to release a vampire in a town. It was cool too. And you don't want them to feel like their experience was, was less cool yeah. than the other. So it's a little bit like the, you, you just gen- I've had an issue in the past where I talk too much after the session, you know, and then I'm like, oh yeah. man, if, if this had happened, you, done. you know, uh, or whatever. And you I, missed this really great right. opportunity to get this fantastic magic. All the well, and, and not, maybe not, maybe right, not right. to that degree, yeah. like, like my group and, and I'm, I mean, your time just ran out, but that's okay. We always go over. Um, and my group uh, just recently, they uh, got to the, the spot in Kresk where uh, they're at the pool and Sergei is there reaching out for Tatiana. Uh, and, yeah. and they were like, one of the characters was real hardcore. Like, we don't know what this is. We got to protect her and like pushed her out of the way and whatever. I'm like, oh, you've been trying to like get her off of your, your caseload for so long. And this was your shot. <laughs> and then Strahd shoots the lightning bolt down and says, ah, she's mine and destroys the pool and whatever. And, and they're like, and, you know, there was a big part of me that was like, oh man, you missed your chance. <laughs> like, this is what you've been trying to, yeah. and the other part was like, no, who knows? Maybe she would have died. <laughs> you know? so, right, right, right. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that's what's been going on. It's been it's been a, a it's been an experience. It's been really it's been a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, do you have an, a sense of where you're going after Ebron, or how how much longer do you I, have well, Ebron? Is yeah. So I I kind of expect that we're about halfway through, and I would probably presume that this could take the the rest of the year might be pretty long. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, you know, I probably want to wait until uh, Frost. Frost Maiden is out. I'll probably have both groups run through Frost Maiden. Um, so at least through September uh, and probably probably later. Uh, so we'll, yeah, we'll see. Um, the hard part is like right now I've got a lot of like major things that are happening. I'm definitely going to have like big airship fights in this future. And then I want to dial it back and kind of get it more like my the game I've been running with my wife where have some side missions and have some other things that they can just do. and They can sort of choose their own path. You know, they call this a like well, not this thing. There's a there's a style of gaming called West Marches campaigns. Are you guys familiar with West Marches campaigns? Yep. Yeah, it's um, very old school. Very yeah. Old school. So what a West Marches campaign is a game is a is a campaign where the players kind of drive the direction of the game. The DM is sort of there to provide it. And the, the, the part of the criteria of a West Marches game is that you have a, a, a big map with lots of blanks and a few areas that are articulated enough that the players can decide if they want to go there or not. But there's no drive to, for them to go. And uh, the players actually schedule the game. And it's almost like organized play. They can actually pick which players and which characters are going to be involved in any given mission. So you're kind of building a, the, building a world and, and, and throwing a bunch of interesting seeds out there for it. And then letting a larger group of players then schedule a game and, and then, you know, only when a game is scheduled and you, they told you where you're going to go, then the DM will actually build out an area. And I think there's components of that, that we can build into our regular D and D game, not so much the player driven s- scheduling and whatnot, but the idea of saying like, you know, here are three non urgent things that you can do. You don't have any urgency going on, right? The, the world's not going to blow up. Um, and you've got these jobs in front of you, which ones do you think are, are interesting? Right. And then the, you know, again, kind of like I did with my wife's game of like, I'll give you the seeds. You pick one of the seeds, then we'll fill it out. I'll fill it out once I know where you're going. And then we'll, we'll go from there. And I've dropped little hints of that in my Eberron game, like uh, a door, you know, big ancient doorways that lead down to old Sharn, like the city of the goblins that exists underneath Sharn. And both my groups are like, man, we want to go down there. And I'm like, well, the world's blowing up. So you probably won't go right there right now. But 
maybe once you've taken care of that problem, there'll be an opportunity. So yeah, I want to, I want to dial back the urgency at some point and then let them, um, you know, let them sort of choose their path a little bit. And I think my players would all be for that. Nice. No, I think, I think that's a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, before we move on, I want to remind people, uh, especially that are watching us in the stream right now, uh, there is a contest going on. You can win like, a whole bunch of stuff, including some metal dice and dice trays and, and all kinds of stuff uh, from SkullSplitterDice.com. Uh, if you go to SkullSplitterDice.com slash Tome Show uh, with all lowercase letters, it'll send you to a landing page that gives you a coupon code link. But right now, uh, they, are, they are sponsoring a contest through us uh, every month for four months. Last month, it was based on a, a Twitter campaign that we had, and that Winner has already been decided. This month, if you haven't entered yet, uh, you can actually enter a bunch of times. There, It's based on our the Tome Show's Facebook page. So if you follow the Tome Show's Facebook page, every uh, week we are posting some sort of contest question. I think last week was tell us about a character. This week is tell us about like your campaign or your setting or whatever. Uh, and then there'll be a different post every week. You can get an entry for commenting, and you can get an entry for sharing. Uh, and so you can actually get two entries per week, uh, and and get lots of entries and win some win some awesome dice. And then, but if you're listening to this in audio, you, it's probably too late, uh, depending on on I don't know what the editing schedule looks like these days. But um, uh, it'll probably be out next week. Okay, well, in that case, it's not too late if it's out next week. Uh, if it is too late or if you just download it and didn't listen to it in time or whatever, that's fine. Uh, we've got two more of these, and my plan right now is that next month, uh, that is August, that the August contest is probably going to be based on our Discord. Uh, so make sure you email or tweet or post on, on Facebook or whatever in case you want that link so you can join us on Discord and one of the people in Discord. I haven't figured out how yet, but somebody on Discord is going to win. Uh, so that's the plan for this week. And, and the, the fourth month, the September, the last uh, contest, I'm right now thinking is going to be Twitch-based. So make sure you come and follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash show, like several people are right now watching us in the stream. Uh, and then there'll be a contest based on that at that time. All right. So I think that's everything I want to say about that. Let me put 15 more minutes on the clock and start my time because I get to go next. Um, I mentioned that I, I, I before we recorded, uh, I think before the stream started, I think I mentioned that uh, I don't have a ton to talk about. Uh, now, that doesn't mean I won't just talk for hours. Uh, but part of that is because we had a week when two of our players were unavailable and we just decided to do something uh, on the side, right? We, we One of the, my players ran uh, Call of Cthulhu or a, a demo of Call of Cthulhu for us. And then I did, uh, we did a play set of Fiasco, um, which I think they had a most mostly they had a really good time with and afterwards i thought to myself you know this went to some places that i really really should have had an x card out on roll 20 and, and didn't um and nice. and i and i mentioned that to everybody and and most of the players are like oh no it was fine no big deal uh but one of the players didn't say anything and i'm like well either it didn't bother him he's just not talking or it did you know it would have been useful to have it and and, and now i don't know right um and that's kind of related to something that's going to come up as we talk about some other stuff there, and that's the, this whole player safety uh, thing. Um, so last time, 
well, last time Sam and I talked anyway, uh, Mike missed the last time. I was talking about uh, my Curse of Strahd game, and we were in Velaki, and we were leading up to the Festival of the Blazing Sun. Um, you ran Curse of Strahd, right, Mike? I did. I've run Curse of Strahd twice. Yeah. So, so did you ever actually play out the Festival of the Burning Sun? Like it's. I did. Okay. Yep. So I had I had an idea. I've been reading of what some of what the people were doing in, in different forums and whatever, and I had this idea that that's going to be when this whole push between Lady Vacher and the Burgomaster was going to come to a head. Like she was going to make her move then during the festival. Um, and I had the Burgomaster like call them in and be like, "Hey, you've been making some trouble around town, and that's not what we're about. We need to make sure that everybody understands that everything's going to be okay, and that we're all happy, and 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 you know nothing but good thoughts." And that really pissed off a bunch of my players. Like, don't tell us what to think. Screw you, Burgomaster. Right? And I'm like, okay. And then Lady <laughs> Lady Vacher comes in, calls calls them in, you know, asks them, "Hey, would would the ladies of the group like to join the book club?" Right? And so calls them in for, to the book club and explains to them, "Look." There's a problem with what the Burgomaster is doing, and we're going to overthrow him because I would rather live under the tyrant of straw than under the insanity of the Burgomaster. And they're like, well, we don't really like the idea of living under straw, but like, yeah, screw that guy. We're going to take down the Burgomaster. <laughs> right. uh, and so that's how the Festival of the Blazing Sun played out is during the middle of the festival um, when they were – there's the scene where the the – the wicker thing doesn't light and one of the guards laughs and they throw him in the stocks. And that was the excuse that Lady Vacher took to, to activate all of her uh, cult members in the, in the square and, and start to take down the guard and try to kill the Burgomaster and, and his family and whatever, right? That, that's when they were going to make their move. And the party just either, like, I think five of the six of them were like totally on board. Yeah, like, yeah, let's, you know, let's take down the guard, you know, forget it, take down authority, forget these guys, right? Um <laughs> Which is a little bit weird because afterwards I kind of described it as like, you guys flipped to, to F the police real fast. And one of my players is a police yeah, officer. Right. I have a police officer in the party. <laughs> so I'm like, I hope that wasn't you – know, no, no, no. That was fair. Yeah, that's what we did. Um, and so, and so, yeah, so, so that happened. And then, so there's this crazy fight going on. Half of, you know, half the city or town is there and running away from, from people slaughtering each other in the streets. And I've got cult, cultists and cult fanatics running around killing the guards. The burgomaster is killed. And then the, the, his wife is, is back behind the stage and, um, you know, but in the party's got her pinned, uh, between them and they're like, well, do we kill her? Do we take her in? What do we do? Uh, um, the son who's the, the practicing wizard, like, turns himself invisible and because uh, he has greater invisibility. So he has greater invisibility and then just starts running around lobbing fireballs. And we're like, we can't find him, you know? Uh, that was fun. And then I threw the the armored saber-toothed tiger into it in the middle of the fight just to make it go even wackier, right? Uh, so every, And one of the Vistani was there sort of watching. The, the, one of the ones that they'd met before was there watching. So the tiger goes straight for that Vistani. Uh, and it was just a crazy knockdown, drag out. You know, I, I think that... That basically took an entire session uh, is running this one big fight in the way that we used to do back in the 40 days, right? It was a little bit of setup and then boom, like let's, let's run a big combat for, for the whole thing. And, and, and I thought it was perfect because I'm like, okay, well, Strahd's going to make his move on the church during all of this mess, right? That's when he's going to go, go. Now, they did recover the bones, but I'm like, there's no reason Strahd can't stand werewolves in. The bones like create a hallowed spell so undead can't get in, but 
the werewolves can get in. Uh, and and the, the one of the party members is like, uh, hey, Arena, get out of here. This place is not safe. Get to the church. That'll be safe. And so Arena's at the church, and then they hear screams, and that's the end of the session, right? We come oh, back <laughs> right? We come back the next week. They run in. Arena's okay. There's a couple of werewolves that, that are in, uh, and they've killed uh, uh, Father Lucian, the, the priest at the church of San Andrew. Uh, they kill him. Arena's okay. They drive off or kill the werewolves, uh, and then they're like, well— I guess Velaki in this church isn't going to be the safe space that we were hoping it was going to be for Arena. Maybe we should move on, right? Um, and that's when they had it up. And, and I had prepared at that point. I'm like, okay, I have no idea where they're going to go after this introduction to the session at, at St. Andrew's Church. So I prepared Argen Volstolt because we had some sort of hints of that. They got the invitation to dinner with Strahd, and so I prepared for that. Uh, I, they'd, they'd gotten the the seeds literal seeds of they need to go find the seeds for the the wizard of wines winery so i prepared for that and then they're like okay well let's go to kresk i'm like okay i didn't prepare for that at all <laughs> so so i'm just sort of reading one paragraph ahead of where they're at trying to kind of trying to figure out what wait what's this guy's deal again uh i'll just say it's this and, and make it work right they got into kresk uh, they, they convince Crest to let them in under the promise that they're going to go investigate what's going on in the Abbey and solve that problem for them. And, and the Burgomaster is like, okay, fine, you can come in, but you got three days and then you're out. Right? And that's when they went to the pool um, and, and things went, you know, they wouldn't let Arena go to Sergi and Strahd threw down the lightning bolt. And then the Burgomaster's like, never mind, you have one day because clearly you're bringing trouble to my town, <laughs> right? Uh, and so they went up to the Abbey and, and I had to, then this, this, that session ended just as the, the Abbot came out because I'm like, I don't know what this guy's deal is right now off the top of my head. So let's just stop, <laughs> you know? Uh, then they came back last week and the abbot came out and invited them, come into the grand hall and we'll have dinner and I'll tell I'll, I'll answer whatever questions you have and explain to you. And that's when he, you, they meet his, his flesh golem that he's building as a bride for Strahd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out that I had a player who, who had issues with that. Uh, not like it had issues with that, but like she had a, a, a breakdown a little bit. Uh, with that scene and the the key f- for her was that was that the 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 golem had no voice it couldn't speak and that uh activated something that some something traumatic from from their past right and so um mm-hmm. they really struggled with that so i had all this stuff that i was going to do in the abbey and whatever and we kind of ran to the well go meet esmeralda because she's the big ally that they need uh and then let's just get out of the Abbey ASAP uh, and move on because this is clearly making somebody uncomfortable. Uh, mm. And so we did. And we, they decided to go down and deal with Yester Hill and, and find out wh- what's going on with the seeds there and whatever. And that's when I ended the session. But, but it was a, it was a tricky session last week because um, she was clearly having a hard time and I was trying to move things along as quickly as possible. And a lot of the players are like, yeah, but we got this like exposition monster right here telling us everything that's going on and answering questions. <laughs> so I was like, you know, and afterwards I talked talked to her about it, and she was. I also talked to her about me mentioning it on the show, so she was she's okay with that. Um, uh, and and like wanted to you know, g- you know, go through it with her a little bit. Like, hey, sorry, I, I wanted to get you out of there a little faster. I'm sorry I didn't get you out of there faster. And she's like, no, you don't have anything to be sorry for. I didn't see it coming. I wasn't expecting this. I'm like, well, here's some other things that might be similar in terms of people, not not literally having a voice, but not having a 
agency, right? And she's like, I got no problems with that. Everything like that should be fine. It was just the literal like lack of voice can't speak thing. Uh, I'm like, okay, well, I'll keep an eye out for that. But that was a thing that that happened. So related to my X card mm-hmm. comment from the fiasco game, like if I had had a better mechanism to deal with that, I don't, I, I don't know how we would have dealt with it, but, um, create the social, I think the social norm has to be created with the group that it's, uh, that if somebody's having a hard time like that, then we just, we just drop it and move on. And we didn't have that. So. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, I think that, so there's a bunch of different safety mechanisms and I know like lines and veils are one and you'll have session zero talks for that. Like that, I, you know, you'd be surprised if that came up in a session zero though. Right. Right. Unless it's something that someone's hit before. You don't know that they would say, well, and, and, and oh, I just get weirded out when there's characters that can't speak. Yeah. I've been, I've um, been running campaigns for, for so long and usually I get to know the players well enough to, to recognize where there's going to be issues. Oh, you've got a spider issue like that. That can be introduced in a pretty low key way and I can move on real fast or whatever. Right. Uh, and so it's never really, I've never really in all of my years of DMing, I've never had something like this quite come up in yeah. this way. And so, um, I just thought it was an interesting lesson for me to learn as well. Do you, were you playing in person? Was I, oh no, we're all on roll 20 online. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think like, you know, I've heard, I've heard, I think just today I was, I was somebody in my discord chat was talking about how, you know, being able to do X cards in chat is a nice thing because it's pretty fast oh, and, and I think it's pretty silent. I think it's even better because I think you can, I thought about it for the fiasco game afterwards. I think I could put a literal card on the table on the map mm-hmm. for our people in roll 20 and they could flip it over and nobody even has to know who flipped it. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, it can be tricky. Like you're not sure what did it though. Sure. <laughs> like, like was it? The but, I always, like, but I can always. But I can always send out a group message afterwards and saying, "Hey, somebody, somebody flipped the X card tonight. That's yeah. great. Could you could you contact me privately so we can make sure that I avoid that in the future?" Yeah, and, and there's also a nice thing where you can say, like, you know, talk to me in a private chat. Right. And we'll share it real quick. Well, and that's know, and that's what we'll that's it. what ended up happening is that we didn't have an X card, but but she was real fast to send me a private message and, and just say. Hey, I'm kind of having a hard time with this topic right now, um, and and that worked out well. So I kind of knew what was going on, and I and I was like, Hey, do we need a do we need to like anybody in the mood for a bathroom break and and uh, you know or something stuff like that? And, and uh, she just took the opportunity to sort of step away for a little bit and and, and yep. uh, get herself together and, and whatever. But yeah, no, thanks for sharing that experience. Yeah, no, and so that was that was meaningful. Um, the other thing that I've been running lately, and we kind of talked about this before the recording and before the stream, is that I started this week um, running uh, Descent into Avernus with my kids. Uh, and so they each have a PC, and then I create a DM PC just so they, they're not quite as overwhelmed. And I figured I'd try to come up with a good support DM PC, right? So I'm playing a, a real strong, silent support role artificer character who's you know i'll just i'll throw out uh you know fairy fire and cure wounds and and otherwise let you all be the heroes uh and so that's been going well similar to like with your wife we we just sort of sit down and play for for an hour or two whenever we have the time to sit down and play for an hour or two um it's of course you know running with kids is always comes always comes with its own challenges uh you wanted me to talk a little bit about how i the things i've done to change it so far there is a degree to which i am running it with them as a test run for when i'm eventually hoping to run it with my current group right uh, I bought the, the you know the platinum edition Beetle and Grimm uh, box of it, so I you know get as much use out of these things as I can, right? Uh, and so and so I, I made the changes I'd always planned on making, uh, and that is 
Um, I made all of the PCs our Hellriders in Elturel at the beginning. And then I ran uh, the DM's Guild sort of journey from Elturel with the refugees um, to, to Baldur's Gate. And then also um, there was another one. I can't remember the name of it now. Is it the Fall of Elturel maybe? Uh, where they actually meet with yeah. with Alders Ravenguard and some of the other you know figures yep. that are known to have disappeared, and they go off and run a mission, and on, and on their way back, uh, yep. El is destroyed right in front of their faces, uh, and that was that went really well. And tying those together, so so that was a little tweak that I made that I didn't feel like was a very big deal. Uh, and then when they arrived in Baldur's Gate, which is a session we just ran today, they, we just went through arriving at the Basilisk Gate through Elfsong Tavern this, uh, this afternoon. Um, that I, I had to tweak just a little bit because they're all Hell Riders, and like their first introduc- introduction to the the Flaming Fist is, "Hi, I'm Captain Zodge, and we're going after these nasty, troublesome Hell Riders." You know? Uh, yeah, uh, right. <clears throat> which was a, a, actually an allusion he's making, I think, to the problems that Raya made because Rhea Mantelmorn is in the city and she killed uh, a Flaming Fist guard and now she's in, in hiding and they have a connection to Rhea because she was with them in that mission when El Torel fell and so um, I just sort of had Rhea send them a message before they got to the gate some you know, orphan kid showed up with a message from her uh, and a promise that when I deliver it you'll give me a silver uh, and the, the message was just hey there's, there's issues in the city you might want to take your badges off Right, take your your Hellrider badges <laughs> off, and, and 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 not mention it, right? And that was that, and that was the biggest change I've made, other than the fact that because I ran that stuff ahead of time, they're arriving in Baldur's Gate at level three instead of doing yeah. level one level. Like they had a really hard time with the the fight with the pirates uh, in Elf Song Tavern, yeah. which was designed for level one. But there's eight of I them. Know. There's eight of them, uh, and and that we still lost. Uh, the pirates won, but walked wow. away, leaving leaving the woman that they were trying to kill, leaving her bleeding out, right, and walked away. And the right. pirates, you know, right. after, after they knocked half of us out, and, and the others were just barely hanging on, right. The the pirate captain's like, "All right, well, we got what we wanted. Say goodbye, guys." Right, and they all they all marched out. How many characters? Three. Okay, yeah, eight 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 bandits. Well, they're bandits, right? Yeah, they're eight, uh, seven bandits and a bandit captain. Yeah, the bandit captain's probably the tough part. Well, the bandits took bandits us down. I mean, they. I mean, well, really? in fa- and in fairness, my my youngest, who's playing the sorcerer, has rolled a one on his hit points for two levels in a row. <laughs> so he's level three who, with like who eight rolls hit, points. For hit points. We do. <laughs> what are you teaching your kids? Rolling dice is fun. That's what Except I teach my kids. Rolling, rolling for hit points. That's Madness. right. I, I, I always, always roll for hit. Yes, yeah, see, of course you do, talking. Sam. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they technically lost that fight, but because the pirates left her bleeding out, I allowed level the level three. He's got like, he's got like seven hit points at level three. Yeah, no, he, eight, but yeah, eight. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they were able to run and save the woman because she she had failed two death saves, but had one left, and were able to stabilize her uh, real quick. So, but yeah, so that was that session. My time ran out. I don't know if you had questions. So I have a thought, and, and it's kind of like how I would do it again if I were doing it again for Descent into Avernus. And um, I, 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 too, so Fall of Elturel is a fantastic introduction. It is kind of a, you know, a, it's kind of a drag that you buy a $50 adventure and then immediately have to run out and buy another adventure to make it a little bit better. Um, but when, Fall of when Elturel have I not really done awesome. that, Mike? What's that? When have I not done that? 
Well, I haven't had to buy stuff. <laughs> I mean, I like I'd buy it anyway. I buy everything in the DMs Guild already, so it's you know, but but I can understand that like it's one thing to buy something that sort of expands. So like Seller of Death, which is James Intercasso's introduction to Tomb of Annihilation, it's great. You don't have to buy it in order to make Tomb of Annihilation run well. I really feel like Fall of Elturel is a way better uh, introduction to uh, Descent to Avernus than what's in the book. Yeah, Avernus. The, the adventure kind of starts without an introduction. Like you're just you're just you're there. Descent then, or yeah, yeah. No, descent. Descent begins without an introduction. Right. Yeah, and it's like it's the most monumental event ever to see a city fall into hell and you, you're not going to see it on screen. So uh, I've complained about this a lot. The The thing I would do slightly differently is is from the moment Eltrell falls and you're there with Rhea and Rhea sees it, I would love to do a cut and say, it. you know, two ten days have passed and now you're meeting Rhea in the Elf Song Tavern, hidden and, and, and cloaked uh, to avoid the Flaming Fist. Right. And then kind of skip the whole just like the flaming fist can be like weather. You know, it's something that you would do like way in the background. But but like it's just not that interesting. Right. Like the whole flaming fist. Thing, it's not that interesting. That might be a thing that I do, because honestly, like that introduction of you've been conscripted into the flaming fist is a little ham fisted. You know, it's so lame. Yeah. The whole thing is so lame. Like, yeah. And then like, oh, they'll kill you. You know, they send you your level one asses out to go take care of the cult. But if you don't come back, like a bunch of veterans hunt you down. It's like, right. how about you send your veterans after the cult? Right. Right. We'll go drink at the bar. So, yeah, it's it's really it's pretty bad intro, um, but it's easily fixed. And this is something we were talking about earlier before the show that like it's 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 easily fixed. And I still with just those very small tweaks and changes, like being able to grab fall of Elturel and run that and then jump smash, you know, jump cut into Rhea. Um, I, I like, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Like, I really love it. My, my group just got to Elturel at, you know, after Candlekeep and everything. They just got into hell and, and uh, so far uh, just minor changes that I've done along the way, which didn't require a lot of work. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Right. I've really had a lot of fun with this adventure. So yeah, it's a, now I haven't done any of this stuff in hell and there's other problems I hear about like the paths, the paths are kind of railroady and there's weird character problems where like you're sent off, you know, you go to hell, you're sent off on a bunch of fetch quests. So, you I mean, know, that's pretty standard D and D problems though, right? Right. And I'll, figure, <laughs> yeah, I'll figure it out. So, yeah. you know, right on. All right. Well, so my time is well over. I do want to remind people, if you want to support the show, go shopping over at Amazon and DMs Guild through the links at thetomeshow.com. And if you want to support us directly, become a patron at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Hey, Sam. Yes. Why don't you tell me about your game? So first, I'm going to give my opinion about the Avernus stuff because I kept (laughs) my mouth shut so that I wouldn't waste your time. I would waste my own time. Um, So here's the thing. I have read every adventure they've put out. Okay. And I have run just a couple of them. And I'm not saying that all the other adventures they've put out before Avernus have been imminently perfect and runnable out of the book and all that. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I'm not even comparing Avernus to any of the other products, right? As a standalone product, it has some really, really cool stuff in it. I mean, the devil contracts and how to do that and the the war machines, all that stuff is really, really cool. But I have read so much critique about the way the adventure is set up and the way that the the holy font is is set up to have no memory and you know there, there's all these different things that basically the conclusion and, and I and I read I it's actually the module that I had not read all of 
I, I've read about half of it at this point. But the conclusion I come to is that all of those things are fixable. But when I buy a $50 book to have it help me run my D&D game, I've been playing since 1982. I could breeze through that thing and I could run it no problem and I don't have to nitpick and pick out the problems. But 5th edition has brought so many new players into the game. And what I don't see yet in their products is advice on how to make this thing actually work and hang together. I see that they attempt to do that. They started putting NPC lists at the beginning with pronunciation guides. They started doing flow charts for the chapters. They've started trying to format it in a way that's easier to parse the information. The extent to which any of those has been well done or well received is questionable and, and varying depending on the product. But when when you ask a player to buy, when you ask a GM to buy a fifty dollar book, you're asking them to put a and and to use you know six to eight months maybe of game time of time in their life running games to spend it on that adventure, and then you see the number of. Small and fixable, yes, problems, and maybe one or two big problems in some of their published stuff, okay? I always come back to, yeah, okay, it's fixable, but can a new DM fix it? Or do you have to be a really experienced DM? Or do you have to have a certain mindset to do that? Or is it even worth it to try to fix that stuff? Or should you just try to run it? Like, for me, I feel like I don't know the answer to those questions because I can only answer for myself, right? Because I, you know, I'm only me. So, but when I see, I mean, I think Avernus is the first adventure that they've put out where I've seen a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of really good analysis and critique and suggestions on how to fix it because you have to fix it, right? There are some flaws in some other adventures. I'm not saying there aren't, but those you can either ignore leave that part out of the adventure or hand wave it to fix it. You don't really have to actually do anything, right? Maybe with the exception of Tomb of Annihilation where you, you have to change, right? You have to fix the, there's two weeks and then everybody's dead, right? The time, the timing of that. And then I'm going to send you off on a six month trek through the right. jungle, right? Like that has to be fixed. At but, level one. At level one. Yeah. But that has to be fixed. But the other sort of issues in the other released products or you can just but in this one particularly there are so many small ones and a couple of large ones that it builds up to something where I, I, I start questioning well what happened to that product what went wrong with that product during its development so that we they have now produced a product that really is not user friendly mm -hmm. especially I think I think yeah um, in fact, I'll just, uh, I don't want to pile on your time and I already talked about it, but just real quick that I agree. Like, I think I'm trying to think like, is this the most flawed adventure that they've put out out of like the, whatever 14 campaign adventures they put out? And it might very well be, I have to go through the list and really see. It's and, not, it's not to me, but I haven't played it yet. So, so I'll find out. Right. A lot of the problems I run into, yeah. I don't run well, into. I've only play I played, it. I, right. I think I've played like the first quarter of it. Right. And, um, but, I, but many of the complaints I heard were about that first quarter. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't know what a new player does with it, but the other day I saw some, uh, eight to 12 year olds who were learning to play D and D by running 20th level characters, 
fifth edition 20th level characters against monsters from the third edition monster manual and they were having a ball so you can do some really flawed stuff and still have a good time playing yeah Yeah. you you would really well on amazon right (laughs) like you Very would, popular on Amazon, and it's reviewed really right. well on it. And, and, and you're yeah. right, Sam. Like This is the edition that has brought in more players than anybody else, and it is unfortunate that they still – other than the Essentials box and the starter set, right? They still haven't gotten – figured out how to how to make the products really user-friendly for, for somebody who's new to the game to pick it up, which, which you'd think would be a priority given how many new players there are. Uh, so I don't think yeah. you're wrong in that in that question. Um, yeah, the only the only adventure that I think they put out that that kind of nailed it pretty close was Curse of Strahd. Like that one, I, yeah. I I had to do as few modifications to that. That one I felt like I could have run exactly as it is. I still modified it, right? But I modified it just because I wanted to, not because I felt like I had to because of a of a, of a falling in the book. That's it's an easier way adventure to do that with because it's so sandboxy. Um, that it, you know, you can't tell the, the DM how to run it because it runs so like you're, you kind of have to make Tomb it is all. also pretty sandboxy. Yeah. yeah, that's why Tomb is one of my favorites because it's so easy to yeah. just make small changes and fix everything that is wrong with that adventure. Yeah. You can fix everything with just. But a you, couple you of need small to changes. know, like you said, you need to know what you, to fix. But you need to know what to Strata, fix I didn't before feel you like get there. I didn't yeah. feel like there's anything yeah. in, in Curse of Strahd. You're like, oh, you better do this or you're hosed. Right. Right. Yeah, and I felt like right. that was the case. But yeah, I think as far as what happened, I think you're right. And I think I think Watsi, it's worth criticizing Watsi for what happened with Descent, especially when you consider like how much money went in to make that book. Right. Like, mm-hmm. a, it's an expensive book for us. But think how much money they they paid to make it overall, all the employees and all the art and everything. And and I think something obviously went very wrong during its production. And there's a lot of speculation about like tying it to the Baldur's Gate announcement. So they, they added Baldur's Gate in at the last minute. There's speculation that they had a lot of authors and trying to coordinate all the authors was a problem. But they had a lot of authors on other products, too. And I don't think they came out quite quite this way. But obviously something happened in the middle of the production that 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 harmed that book. And it's unfortunate because like the art is gorgeous and the design is really nice and the editing is good. And, and it's the first and one where we, where, really we, cool. where we really get to go to a new plane. Yeah, right. right. And so that is something that's really enticing to people. And as I said, some of the stuff in there, like the war machines and the contracts and all that is yeah. really, really cool additions to your game. Yeah. But the Elven Wizard King in the in the chat said, like, you know, how much money did they spend on the 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 live event, right? The D&D live right. event, you're like, boy, it'd have been nice to like slice off a tiny piece of that money and make a better intro. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's really telling when everybody says, hey, go get this thing off the DMs Guild and it will set the stage and make your better. your campaign yeah. Way better than what's in the book. Yeah. a thousand times better than what it actually said. Like that to me is a major problem. That is a... Yeah humongous problem that's why i said i think it could be the most flawed adventure well to, and yeah. to my mind that's almost the same problem as the tomb of annihilation problem but you know that's that's I, yeah. so i don't i don't i think it, like it feels a lot smaller to me like yeah the, the, the fixed tomb is just a matter of just saying oh well just don't make the death curse quite so bad where or, no not even that you know buy what another module you don't even <laughs> need to do that all you have to do is have their patron in the beginning say there's something happening we don't know what it is right yeah and then then they spend six months going around trying to find out what it is and then they find out okay you just got back to you know wherever and you you just got to your contract and and now we know it's a death curse so you know thank you for finding the location the the forgotten city 
now go back there and stop this because we know that that's the source of like that would fix every po- everything that's wrong that's majorly wrong with that adventure and and it's with one change with ha- how they find out yeah, about I feel like I feel like you I can fix a lot of adventures by putting like four bullet points down on a 3 by 5 card right and I don't feel that way with Descent. I feel like I've got to go buy supplementary products. You know, I think uh, Enrique, newbie DM, complained about how little they attention they pay to Candlekeep. You know, there's this awesome Candlekeep stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And it was very telling that, like, some of the authors who worked on Descent immediately put out a gorgeous Candlekeep, Candlekeep book right. that has yeah. a whole different way of handling all of the Candlekeep section. And it makes you like... Right huh you know and it's great like again i bought that and then and, and it was worth the money but it wasn't cheap and then then i when i ran the candle keep stuff i had all this more lore you know so the, the best thing and, and probably good advice is like wait till an adventure has been out a while and people have figured out how to make it better and then right. run it which is what right. i did with the set and i might think of that part, that's part of why we've start we're trying out a new way of doing our reviews where we're doing our, our initial sort of hot take at the, when it first comes out and then we're gonna wait like six months and get people who've been really? running it to, right. to talk about it I, I didn't know you were doing that that's a real yeah. I should, I we, we, ju- we just we just so, we just did yeah, it for, for, for with theros for the first time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so I think, I, that's that, a great, I think that's a great way to do it the other thing I want to talk about is I'm not really talking about my game. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, in, in my game, look, my, my players, they finally made it to Calport. They figured out a whole bunch of weird stuff. They now have gotten into the library of Therondibus, which is the biggest library in the world. And, and they've gone and they're like stuck in this maze part of it. And they're finding all the stuff about it, but it's kind of boring. If you don't know any, like they're just, they're in a library. That sounds really right. So there's not a lot happening right now. They, they got a, a bunch of lore that they discovered last time. That's kind of it. So the other thing I want to talk about are and we're not talking about my game is um i say it's kind of boring when you're playing it and running it's not boring right I like, i've, been, I've been enjoying it but go ahead yes yeah. <laughs> so but for for me to say like i could sit here and say well they're in the library they went to this shelf and you know it's not it's not interesting so the other thing i, I think it's funny that you mentioned like the fomo that you have like the fear of missing out of of running you know you want to run these adventures that you that that are being released for fifth edition because you have you want that cohesive that communal uh, experience, experience yeah. the the communal experience that everybody and I don't have that right I I run it in my homebrew world um, and I didn't have it for fourth edition either because even though I ran basically in my homebrew world I put a lot of elements of the Nintir Vale into my homebrew world so there was a lot of stuff there where people would say oh yeah I, I recognize that person exists or whatever and I still kind of do that now but the thing is because I'm not a huge Forgotten Realms fan I don't really have a, a, a large drive to go run any of these adventures that are that are basically set in the Forgotten Realms although you know Ravenloft and, and Avernus notwithstanding um, like so I don't have that FOMO, but I do feel like that communal experience is very important to the growth of, of the game and, and, the, and getting new players in and, and just being able to go to a convention and hear somebody talking about something. About, oh, I remember that. Yeah, we met that person in that adventure, too, you know, and, and whatever. And that forms a very um, nice sort of bubble around around D and D players and people who love D and D because you have these experiences and you know about these NPCs. And, and I really, I, while I don't have the, the personal FOMO for that, I, part of the reason I don't is because I read every adventure, even though I don't, right. I don't use them necessarily. In fact, I don't even 
I this is the first edition. I think I said this uh, on a different podcast, but this is the first edition where I have not kept everything that I bought for it. If I figure out I'm not going to use that adventure, I get rid of it. I either donate it or I give it to my my two teenage players, the young guys that are just learning how to play and stuff. And so I don't like. There's no. I just don't. I, I don't keep it, right? Um, which I don't know if that if that's probably just me or if that's just the issue of with the second thing I want to talk about about these adventures is these things are massive. They take like eight months to two years to run. If you run, if you try to run everything and depending on how, how often you play and how fast your, 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 you know, your PCs level up and all that stuff, like these things take a long time. So you kind of have to be choosy about which ones you're going to run. Because if I decided right now to run Avernus and I'm not done before Rime of the Frost Maiden comes out, and then I want to run Rime of the Frost Maiden, I either have to finish up my Avernus game real quick or let it play out. And then maybe that's a good thing because then maybe by the time I'm playing Rime of the Frost Maiden, you know how everybody it. will have discovered the flaws, <laughs> right. right? Whatever they may be. Um, you know what I'm saying? So, but I feel like. These these adventures are so huge. I, I I really wish they would produce smaller adventures. They use I mean back in the day, right? Uh, especially back to second second edition, you'd get little five dollar floppy ones. If only somebody would make a book of <laughs> short adventures. Man, I wish somebody would do that. Somebody. Else. <laughs> Mike, you know it's my turn to talk, right? Or, or, oh, e- or even just a, a organizing my library over here. Even just a couple dozen like really fantastic layers yeah, that I could put to yeah, yeah, fantastic, yeah. But no, it's, I mean seriously though, right? Like yeah, something like that where that you know the reason Grindle Root is different from say Yawning Portal, right? Grindle Root is adventures that can be run standalone, and Fantastic Adventures, the first one, adventures that can be run standalone, or you can string them together to make whatever you want to make. And it has a little region there so you can make it more sandboxy, but something like uh, yawning portal. Well, it's not really like that. It's not, it's not really, it wasn't really set up to do that. Because well, go, go to salt marsh did it. Yeah. Salt marsh did it. Salt marsh did it. I mean, I ran that um, campaign. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they'll do more anthologies like salt marsh though. Uh, Cause I feel like, the issue for them is is putting out the little floppies like they used to do in second edition just isn't cost effective. It's not a, there's a profit issue, right? But doing sure. the the larger compendium anthologies like Salt Marsh, I think, works well. Yeah. I just want more variety than just you know here's a bunch of dungeons and here's a bunch of like here's a bunch of dungeons doesn't do me much good at all. Um, I I don't think I turn to any of those ever. Uh, but here's a bunch of aquatic event or nautical adventures. Like, okay, I can yank out a couple here and there when it when it suits and that works, you know. So more things like Salt Marsh that I can just sort of yank out when I need something uh, works pretty well if they keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's all. That's just me talking about Avernus because <laughs> you know I I really do think I really do think that the, those are the two biggest issues I have with the Watsi adventures. They're way too damn long and. And all of them need fixing. They're they're expensive, and they're not always great for new players. And not that every product has to be great for new players, but I mean, there's you know, can I? Do we have time for me to debate? I mean, yeah, you're you're the one who always wants to finish on time, so sure. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, the so I I'm I'm happy with the size because I can run shorter adventures if I want to. There's so many 
places to get short adventures and they, they're getting better. Like the, the quality of the material that's coming up on the DMs guild is so good and so much better than it used to be when it first came out. I feel like I have no lack of small adventures and, uh, yeah, they, they shortened. So I don't know if you remember, but in the beginning they were putting out two of these a year. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was no way to keep up. And they, and they, they dialed it back to one a year. And it's the first time well, when one, I one a almost, year plus one anthology a year. Well, but they, I think the anthologies have been like every other year too, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't know, they don't, maybe they didn't come out. Yeah, and 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 so there was like you know you could argue about um, Waterdeep, Dragon Heist, and Mad Mage, right? As sort of one, but Mad, you know, I don't That's know. That's two adventures. I don't, uh, yeah, it, I, I guess. Also, we don't want to get into having a Mad Mage conversation. I, I've yeah, that Mad Mage is a weird one. It's the only one I haven't played <laughs> anything, right? Yeah, and um, so I, I, I'm I'm kind of happy. I'm happy with the one big adventure a year, and I would like it to be a big meaty adventure. Uh, I think what they said about um, so I think you might be getting what you want with with Frost Maiden because Frost Maiden, right? Rhyme of the Frost, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Uh, is because they said they're building it very similar to the way the D and D Essentials Kit adventure is of a series of quests that you can un that you can take and right. that you can have group like it's set in Icewind Dale. You, you know, there's an overall theme of what's going on the endless night kind of thing. Right, and right. then the characters can kind of choose which quest they want to go after. You can sort of bring them all together for the bigger campaign, or you can just run a few quests. Right. Right. So I think it will be a more flex. It sounds like it. I'm, you know, my, my, my rose colored glasses look forward, not back. Right. And when, when I look forward, I'm like, Oh, that'll be great. Right. Now <laughs> every other adventure has had flaws too. So I expect this one will have flaws too. Um, but I've always found again, like, you know, now having stepped away and, and, and run my own, I miss having a book, right? I miss having it, but I've also changed how I run my games to fit the modules, to fit the adventures. Mm -hmm. I know they're going to take me somewhere between nine and 14 months. Uh, I, I, I run weekly games, three hour games. I, I, I time them and tune them to fit that 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 kind of suit but i didn't even know i was going to play descent to davernus until i had another group that got together and said hey we want to play this mm -hmm. right and i was like oh okay why don't i run this one you know and so um yeah so i i'm i'm on the side that i can get my shorter adventures almost anywhere else i don't lack adventures anywhere and i can make my own you know i would rather i don't know i mean i really liked what they did with uh um uh, dragon of ice fire peak so more of those would be fine with you so i don't know i don't know what i'm yeah. saying I'm, I'm, you know. Yep. Yeah. I have thoughts on many of those things, but now is not the time. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right at the end. No, that's fine. You can, you can have the last I just word. Can't let, Sam, can't let Sam have the last word. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just, well, so I do, I do have one other thing. I, I think part of also, you know, what I'm complaining about is actually answered with, in part, the Adventurers League modules, right? Because that are a set; those are sets of smaller, shorter adventures that also create a communal experience for Adventures League players. It's just that I don't play Adventures League, so I also I miss out on that as well. So for me, having and I don't do a ton of adventure buying on DM's Guild, so I don't look for smaller stuff. So, so for me, it's either make my own or play this humongous campaign. And I would I would expect that probably the majority of players in DMs are kind of like that too if they're not playing Adventures League. The because think about it, wait, run their own stuff. 
we always say, we always say, well, we're a special kind of self-selected group of major Uber nerds who we have access to DMs Guild and we control through that and we'll buy stuff and we'll look at that stuff and we may or may not use it, right? Like, I'm not saying it's not a popular site. I know it is. But if you think there's 20 million people playing D&D, 20 million people are not on DMs Guild buying stuff, right? Like, so... You know, I think there's a larger group of players out there who the only experience they get is either Adventurous League stuff because they play organized play or their DM runs a hardcover or their DM does their own homebrew. And so that's, you know, that so that's where I'm and that's that's where I am, too. I don't play Adventures League. So that means that what I'm doing is either homebrew or I'm running one of their big hardbacks and I've done both. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Anyway. All right. I think we've we've beat this horse pretty well for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> so. Hey, I, 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 I ceded my time for this. You topic. did. Absolutely. Did. Which, means, which means we took all of your time and we took part of Mike's <laughs> time and then we went over. So we, I think, I think we've, we've is, had a good discussion. It's been very worthwhile. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think it's okay to go ahead and, and wrap the episode at this point. I do want to remind folks, uh, if you want to watch us and these shenanigans unedited uh, and, and all of the times that I look stupid or my chair squeaks and then Sam has to edit it out or whatever. Um, uh, you can watch us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Tome Show. Uh, and usually I will tweet out and then other people that are on will retweet uh, whenever we're going to to about to start. Uh, we typically record Tuesday or Thursday nights around 8 or 8.30, depending on who's on and what have you. Um, and then you can all, and then afterwards I will, uh, a few weeks afterwards, I'll have it up on YouTube as well. So you can see stuff there and you might want to also reach out in order to get the link. So you can join us over on discord where, uh, Sam is more active than I am. And so he's probably our discord master, right? (laughs) So I guess if you want to call me that, yeah. yeah. If you want to get join us on Discord and talk about all things uh, D and D Tome Show, we've got a behind the DM screen uh, channel. We've got uh, our fitness channel. We've got our just general channel. We've got the channel where Sam makes announcements whenever there's a new episode. Um, so come join us over there. And I think that's the end of behind the DM screen for July of 2020. So uh, say goodbye, guys. Bye guys. Bye guys. Bye guys.